All right, we're starting this morning a new series. Let's go and, and let's start at the beginning. Uh, God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates us and he makes us in his image. God grants human beings this, this amazing power to make choices, to be a free people. He gives us an opportunity to enjoy a relationship with him, a personal relationship, and to, to engage in this mission of imagining, of creating, of serving in this world for his greater glory. And then very shortly after the creation, of course, we have the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve make their choice to rebel against God and rebel against the command that God gave them. That one command that he gave them not to partake of that tree, uh, they broke it. They decided to break that command to disobey. And preceding that disobedience, this is the part that often kind of gets lost, is before they chose to disobey God, they made a choice to disregard his word, to ignore his word. Remember, when the enemy, when Satan appears to Eve, uh, Eve tells the devil, she says, uh, the Lord told us we can eat of any tree, just not that one. And remember what Satan said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Eve, did he really say that? He wants Eve to doubt that God actually said that, to ignore uh, the explicit command of God, and that, in essence, leads to our fall, leads to the fall of humankind, to our disgrace, to our interrupted, infected relationship with the one who made us, our Father. It leads, ultimately, to our physical death. And all of this is preceded by this, this decision to, to doubt, to question. The Word of God. Now remember that famous parable that Jesus told. It's a parable about construction. It's also uh, more deeply a parable about the Word. Um, Jesus tells this parable in, Ma in Matthew chapter 7 about these two men who are home builders. One of them, of course, the wise man builds his house on the rock. He builds his house on this foundation that is beneath the home is bedrock. The other builder, the foolish builder, chooses to build his home on not bedrock, but on sand. And when the storms come, and storms always come in life, when the storms come and the waters rise and the winds blow, one of those house, houses, the house that's on the bedrock, stands secure. The other house collapses in a pile of rubble. And Jesus says, this is like us. It's like our lives. Um, the wise person chooses to build their life on his word. The foolish person just kind of ignores their word. And the results are devastating if we choose to ignore the word of God. Well, this morning we're beginning a new series that I'm calling, I Never Said That. That's the title of the series, I Never Said That. And the idea behind this series is really, I think, pretty simple. There are these... Proverbs, these sayings, these, these trite statements that, that are bandied about in our culture, they're ingrained in our psyche, and we use them all of the time, almost unquestioningly use them, and we can almost begin to believe they're, they're like 
they're like gospel. I mean, I mean, God must have said that or said something like that. And I think for many of these things that we say that we use to reassure ourselves or encourage others, I think God would tell us, hey, I never said that. I never said anything like that. And one of those, the one that we're going to start with this morning, is one that we hear all the time. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. And there are hundreds, thousands of manifestations of this little life philosophy, of this little saying that we use to encourage other people. And it has, yeah, it kind of has the ring of truth about it. It sounds truthy, okay? Follow your heart. So here are a couple of versions, and you'll probably recognize these, or you may have some others that you recognize. One of them says, yeah, follow your heart, and you will never lose your way. What does that even mean? You know, really, okay. The next one is this. I, I love this one. Found this on, you can find all sorts of interesting things on the internet. Here's one. Uh, Don't let fear of what may happen to you or fear of what may happen hold you back from following your heart. Don't let, let me, uh, don't let fear of what may happen hold you back from, that may well be the worst Advice I can imagine that you would, for example, give to your teenage son. Hey, here are the car keys, Jake. Here's your new car. Don't let fear of what may happen hold you back from following your heart. That's just stupid, you know? Um, honestly, I think, you can, I think you can say virtually anything and follow it with follow your heart, and suddenly it sounds good. It sounds wise. It's kind of funny how that works. Um, here's another one. It goes like this. There is no set path. Just follow your heart. Uh, Tell that to the judge after you get arrested or to your wife after you've committed an affair. Hey, I just follow in my heart. There really, honey, there's no set path. Or judge, I robbed the bank, but you know, there's no set path. I was just following my heart. I mean, it just breaks down in in the real world, doesn't it? it? It just doesn't work. And it may sound great as a life philosophy, but if you follow that, there's no set path, just follow your heart. By the end of the year, you will either end up in court or you will end up a corpse. I mean, those are kind of two options. By the end of the year, if you just follow your heart and decide there's no set path. But man, it sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, follow your hearts. Um, You know, just listen to your heart. Just follow your heart. Everything is going to be great if you do that. And why, I think, I I ask myself, you know, why does that phrase have that kind of pull, that kind of traction for us. And it's pretty obvious, I think, if we're honest, what that phrase is essentially saying, what follow your heart essentially means is do what you want to do. Follow your heart, really? It is just a nice way of saying, do whatever you want to do. Um, and who doesn't want to do that? I mean, by By definition, you want to do what you want to do. So it's safe to say, biblically speaking, that God would respond to all of this, follow your heart business by saying, I never said that. I never said that. Generally speaking, what does God say about my heart? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. God says, the heart is deceitful above all things 
and beyond cure. God says in Proverbs 28, verse 26, He who trusts in his heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Jesus talks about the heart a lot. One of the things he says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So follow your heart. God would say I-N-S-T. I never said that. Follow my heart. You know, I've tried that a few times. I've tried that a bunch of times in my life. I remember back in the fifth grade, I followed my heart when I decided I was going to go with. Does anybody remember going with? I was going to go with Melissa Johnson. My heart as a fifth grader, my heart told me that she was the one. Everything I'd ever wanted was there. And I spent eight dollars on a turquoise ring that I gave her. And she was so happy. And we were going together, I think, for two weeks before I figured out, my heart is an idiot. And I'm sure she figured that out too. As the lyrics of a Paramore song say, that's what you get when you let your heart win. Um, So God's Word tells me my heart My heart's a problem. (laughs) I mean, my own experience tells me my heart's a problem. Um, Follow your heart is, though, it is powerful, right? I mean, it is a motto embraced by billions in many senses. Follow your heart is the religion of our time. Uh, The statement of faith in Western culture, the gospel of contemporary music and literature and movies. Follow your heart. Um, If you're sad, the motto says, follow your heart and you'll find happiness. If you're lost, just follow your heart. Just have the courage to listen to your heart and you'll be successful. But is my heart really the sort of leader that I should be following? Um, and what we want to do this morning, let's go to Psalm 51. A lot of places in Scripture we can go, but we're going to spend a little bit of time in Psalm chapter 51 or the 51st Psalm. This is a poem or a prayer poem written by King David after he followed his heart into bed with Bathsheba. Okay? And it basically wrecked his life. Certainly wrecked her life. And he wrote about that. It led to the death of Uriah, a good man. Led to the death of an infant child. David becomes convicted, deeply convicted of his sin. And he writes this prayer poem to God as he's working his way out of this incredible mess. So Psalm 51, verses 1 to 12, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, your kessed. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. That's a good prayer right there. I know my transgression. My sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned, done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right 
when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop. I will be clean. Wash me. I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So I think we learn something, certainly about David, but we learn something about ourselves from this prayer poem that he writes. The first thing I learn about myself, about my heart, is this. My heart is not good. Now that's blasphemy when the religion of culture is follow your heart. But Scripture tells me what I really already know. My heart's not good. David looks at himself and he says in verses 3 and 5, I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now if you're a Catholic or you're from a Catholic background, um, this is where the doctrine of original sin comes from or this is one of the key passages that's used to talk about, hey, and that's why, hey, if you're Catholic, you were probably baptized as a baby after just a few days uh, uh, after you were born. You were back because, man, you're, you're sinful at birth. You're, it's, it's a bit tricky, though. I'll say this. It's a bit tricky when you take poetry and you try to translate it literally. Okay, more than a bit tricky. For, I mean, even that verse itself cannot be literally interpreted and be consistent. Okay. I was sinful. I know that I was sinful at birth. I was sinful even when I was conceived. I mean, those are two, just, those are two kind of separate things. So which is it? Are you, you were sinful when you were born, or you were sinful earlier when you Anyway, it just gets weird when you take poetry, right, and you try to translate that literally. I think what we can all agree on is this. Um, David is saying, I know that I am rotten to the core. <laughs> I mean, David says, for as long as I can remember, I have this impulse to evil. I have this, this selfish, magnetic pull toward what I want and not toward what you want, God. That's what he's, he's confessing. His problem, he confesses, is fundamentally a heart problem. And without getting too specific, I can tell you I see myself in that. I mean, I see those dynamics at work in my heart. My heart is always pulling me to look out for myself. My heart wants me to look out for my desires. My heart has me look at, look at myself in the best light and often look, often look at others in the worst light. Uh, my, light helps me, uh, my, my heart helps me justify myself and condemn others. My heart helps me ponder my virtues and ponder the errors of others. My heart wants me to do immoral things hurtful things, I would be terrified this morning sharing all of, you, all of that with you in any kind of detail. My only consolation is I believe that you think you're in the same boat. My heart's a problem. It's not good. The second thing David tells me here is that my heart is not objective. It's not 
objective. He says in verse 6, what you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Enter me and conceive a new true life. The truth isn't coming from in here. The truth needs to come from you, Lord. Fill me up with your truth. What's in here is just messed up. Um, one problem I have following my heart is my heart is mine. It's, it is my heart. So it is biased. It is predisposed to see everything from my point of view. It is not fair. It is not truthful. It is not objective. It is not impartial. It is not providing me with a true north. Remember Jeremiah 17, 6. My heart is deceitful. And when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he wasn't thinking about things from Bathsheba's point of view, certainly not from Uriah's POV, not from God's point of view. That's because his heart wasn't objective. It was thinking about, man, oh, it'd be great to sleep with her. Just think about his point of view, his interest. It, it wasn't giving him judicious, discerning, impartial input at all. Neither does my heart, neither does your heart. So David's prayer, God, come in, fill me up, orient me, let your truth enlighten me. Help me out here, God. Give me some perspective. He needs God who knows all, who is objective, who loves him deeply. He needs for God to step in and save him from himself. Verses 4 and 5 say this. Listen to this. You, God, you have what? You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. It's objective. It's impartial. It's discerning. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. Putting it another way, your heart tends to reliably and predictably tell you what you want to hear. And that's a problem. <laughs> Look, if, if you go to an auto mechanic who tells you everything you want to hear instead of actually telling you, here's what's wrong with your car, Here's what it's going to cost. Look, your brakes are about to go out. If you go to the mechanic who doesn't tell you any of that stuff, but just tells you what you want to hear, you're wasting your time of money, and you're putting yourself in danger, and you're putting everybody else on the road in danger. If you go to the medical doctor who just tells you what you want to hear, everything's rosy, clean bill of health, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. If you hire a CPA for your company, we need for you to come in and, and audit us. But you hire the CPA who's only going to tell you what you want to hear. That is dangerous, right? I mean, you're, you're likely to end up bankrupt or in court if you do that. So David wants us to know that our hearts will tend to tell us what we want to hear, not shoot straight with us. 
Finally, from Psalm 51, I see that, and this is an interesting thing, I see that my heart is not free. There's a treadmill, there's a cycle at work in my heart. A cycle of sin, a repetitive cycle, a habitual cycle. The New Living translates verse 3 like this. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Just cycling through. Without the Lord, without Christ on the throne of my heart, my heart is simply not free. Paul, talking to the young evangelist Timothy, puts it this way. Very interesting text here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Listen carefully to this. Perhaps God will what? Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. Tell me more about that, Paul. Perhaps He will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and they will escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captives by him to do whatever he wants. They may think they're free. They may think they're doing whatever they want. They are bound and gagged and chained up. They are captives. They are not free. Maybe God will change their hearts, Paul says. That's what needs to happen. Without Christ on the throne of my heart, my heart isn't free. It is controlled by impulses and desires that are often not in my best interest and not in the best interest of the people I love and care about. My heart is pathologically selfish. It just is. Follow my heart? I don't think so. You see, our hearts will not save us. The message of Scripture is, in fact, I need to be saved from my heart. That's why in verse 10, David says, Create in me, Creator God, create in me a, a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Say, let's, let's say that one out loud together. Um, put that one up for me. From Psalm, yeah, there we go. Say this one with me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's his prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Your heart wasn't designed to be your God. It is meant to, it is designed to trust in God. Now, the Lord can give you a pure heart, a clean heart, a good heart. He can renew your strength, my strength. The Lord and only the Lord can make me good, can make me free, can make me strong. And David, because of that, David's right to take this petition to God, to the one who really can repair his heart, change his heart. Create in me a new heart, David prays. In Ezekiel 11, I think the Lord really shares with us this is a gift he wants not just for David or not just for a select few. This is a gift of a new heart, a clean heart that he wants for all of his people. Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20, God says, I will give them an undivided heart. I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove, talk about heart surgery here, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh 
Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. I'm going to share with you lyrics from a a poem. Well, it's a song and a poem by George Matheson, 19th century Scottish minister who happened to be blind. And man, this poem just nails it when it comes to our hearts. It goes like this. My heart needs thee, O Lord. My heart needs thee. No part of my being needs thee like my heart. All else within me can be filled by thy gifts. My hunger can be satisfied by daily bread. My thirst by earthly waters. My cold by household fires, my weariness by outward rest. But no outward thing can purify my heart. This world has not provided for my heart. It has provided for my ear, for my eye, for my touch, for my taste, for my sense of beauty, but it has not provided for my heart. And then that line again, provide thou for my heart, O Lord. So what can be done to bless my heart? Let's talk about that this morning as we finish out. The first thing, number one is this, is to consecrate it, to set it apart and let it be cleansed by the blood of Christ. Consecrate your heart. Embrace a fresh, a fresh start in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When you come to Christ, you are washed clean because of the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. His atoning sacrifice allows you to be clean, purified, and his spirit comes to live in you and help you and transform you. Consecrate your heart to Jesus Christ. The second thing is this. Conform it. Conform your heart. Inform your heart and conform your heart by letting God's Word, letting the Bible shape it. Okay? Lots of passages on this. In fact, Psalm 119 would probably be a bit lengthy for us to read here this morning. But really, the entire psalm, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, is about God. Let your word shape my heart. That's what I need. Here are a few selections from Psalm 119. How about verses 30 to 32? David prays, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. Oh, Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have what? You have set my heart free. That idea again, that my heart is a captive, my heart is a slave, God can set the heart free. Conform it to his word. David prays this in verse 36. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. 
verses 111 and 112. He says, your statutes, God, David prays, your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. My heart is locked in on your word, on your wisdom, on your commands. So very intentional, very determined stance here that I'm going to lean into your word. I need that objectivity. I need to be set free. I need to be released from my selfishness. God, do that. And give me that joy that comes when you lead. And this leads us to number three, which is all about, instead of following my heart, the Bible teaches I need to lead my heart. I don't need to follow it. I need to lead it. I need to coach it. So coach it. Take ownership of your future by leading your heart instead of following your heart. That's what the Bible teaches us. Um, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. He said, And do not set your heart. Interesting, right? Language there. Do not set your hearts on what you will eat, on what you will drink. Don't worry about it. And in that famous word from Jesus, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added or will be given to you as well. So intentionally fighting to keep the kingdom of Christ on the throne. Let Jesus rule. Let Jesus govern. Then I am the best version of myself. Then I am the freest version of myself. So, follow your heart. I never said that. God tells us. I never said that. Instead, because of Jesus Christ, we can get a fresh start by coming to Him. We can receive a clean heart, a pure heart, a free heart because of what Jesus won for us on the cross. And if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, the way you do that is you put your faith in Him, you are baptized into Jesus. That is laying down your life, being buried with him in a watery grave, and accepting all that he won for you at Calvary. Maybe this morning you just need prayers over something that's going on in your life, something that's keeping you up at night. We would invite you to pray about that or to give your life to Jesus through baptism this morning by responding as together we stand and worship.